king, an obsession. Journey into the world of Iskorda and travel along with the boy from that way as he embarks on a quest to return to the very depths of the nightmare that brought him through the white door. Join us once more as we step through the white door. Welcome back to the white door. We return with chapter 14, returning to the hunt for the boy from that way. We embark to a strange town, a world where the dead and the living exist in harmony. An upside down town of love and horror. A place of nightmares and mercy. And in all this, an elf on a quest for his king. He will get the answers that he seeks and enact a plan that will change everything. Join us for chapter 14, let's play 20 questions. The low rooftops stood out like black flies on a snowman against the bright blue of the sky. Each roof was black as night, and several of them hadn't seen repair or care in some time. Shingles waved greetings in the wind and slapped against the roofs. Many of them lie scattered around the houses, fallen comrades in the war to keep rain and cold from breaching the house. A few of them had most or all of their roof missing entirely. One in particular had a great heap of roofing piled on the side of the house, nearly as tall as the building itself. Edoch Erie was exactly that. Erie. It wasn't just the low, black rooftops either. It wasn't just the rickety old fence posts that were slowly sinking unevenly into the ground, making several of them close to each other look like the fingers of some giant creature trying to claw its way to the surface. It wasn't the rotted fence pieces itself, broken like the ancient Gollywobble walls of Ginfinjunda, the capital of the old Gollywobble nation of Zund, which was overrun by Cephalus during the War of Dark Places. Nor was it the several murders of crows that clustered on every scraggly tree and crumbling house, surveying over all through its eyes of black. To the elf, to Slendari, it was the silence. People shuffled along on their business through the littered and potholed streets without so much as a word, some of which were definitely dead and rotting. Carts rolled lazily down the avenues, pulled by horses, some of which were definitely dead and rotting, who somehow were managing not to clip or clop as they went. Silence abounded. Children walked instead of played in the streets, most of them just staring down at the ground as they did. Merchants unenthusiastically called out their wares in little more than a whisper, some just sitting slumped down in a chair behind a mountain of goods that were stacked about ten too many on top of some old leaning tables. One of these leaning tables in particular caught Slendari's attention as he was following the only real sound that he was hearing, which is coming from a tavern near the center of town. The elf guessed it to be a tavern due to the assorted persons vomiting outside and the rampant amount of scantily clad women in the local area, some of which were definitely dead and rotting. 
The table was overflowing with little jars of shockingly hued newts, packed ten or more in each jar. Behind the table, on a tall stool, was a bright yellow flower that was snapping its jaws and looking at the elf with its one greenish eye, which protruded from the top of its head in a vine-like stalk. What are you selling here? Slendari asked as he approached the clinking table of jars. Sawed off! Your mother was a basilisk. I'm so sorry, replied the plant. The elf looked confused, looking left and right as if he was unsure the plant was actually talking to him. I'm sorry, the plant repeated. It's an old curse. Assats and dwarf dung! Slendari blinked in silence as the flower went on. An old wizard cursed me for biting his finger. Didn't let go for a month, I tell you. Shrub's honor. Oh, he thought he could just come in and dictate my life? No, sir. I get sun and water and ladies whenever and however I please. Man, you should have been here last summer. The sunflowers were just a blooming. Mm, talk about sexy. But that's a whole other story. This jerk wizard, I bit, put a jinx on me so that I talk most foul. Uncontrollably, sir. Most foul indeed. So Slendari said, drawing it out to try and buffer some of the awkwardness the plant was somehow infusing on him. He laughed in his head. He had killed more than a hundred men in his lifetime, and at least twice as many dwarves. Yet somehow this plant gave him the same uneasy feeling that epic foes and battles tend to carry. The elf felt as if he needed a hand on the hilt of his blade if he was to continue talking to this curious flower. Instead he asked what the deal was with the newts in the jar. I sell them, bub. What are you, some kind of high elf scholar? I'm, I'm so sorry, replied the plant. No, I mean, what do they do exactly, Slendari said, noticeably annoyed. Well, they eat, crap, breathe if you ask me, you prick. So sorry again. Slendari took a step back. He looked at the foul-mouthed plant's table and bumped right into a couple passing by behind him. With elven quickness, Slendari spun around in time to catch the arm of a lady as she fell to the ground. The arm came off in his hand, which pretty much stopped Slendari dead in his tracks. Dead in his tracks. The elf looked down to see the lady's arm in his hand, and then to her husband, who was helping her up. He looked rather young, still touched with pink in the face and straight in the spine. The first example of living normalcy Slendari had seen since he came to the town. The elf stood there awkwardly with the lady's arm in his hand, unsure exactly what to do with it. He had cut, torn, ripped, severed, and otherwise mauled many limbs in its day. That much was certain. However, not one instance could he remember doing it unintentionally, and that bothered him a little bit. He watched the straight-spined husband stand his wife up and brush the dirt and muck from her faded dress, which had a large blood stain on the side where the lady had a good-sized chunk missing. Come on up, Beatrice, said the husband, now a light embarrassment turning his face even more pink. Terribly sorry, Slendari said, holding out the arm towards the couple. Oh, it's quite all right, Master Elf. Accidents happen from time to time. Why don't you just both watch where you're going? Dead lovers and pointy-eared fairy boys, I swear, the flower blurted out. Everyone turned towards the table of jars. You've got quite a mouth, the husband said as he tucked his wife's arm in a brown satchel that hung from his waist. I could say the same about your wife. At least that's what I heard, and I'm so sorry. 
the plant added, half sarcastic and half apologetic. It's an old curse, the elf interrupted casually, as if he had known the yellow merchant plant for years. Curse to curse I am, sir, the plant added. That's most unhealthy for you, sirs, the husband said as he walked. Yes, well, so is putting Captain Strong and his two sergeants down in the Dungeon of the Dead, if you know what I'm saying. And I think you do, the flower added smartly, winking at the husband, though the plant had one eye and thus no one could distinguish it from a blink. The couple weren't twenty steps away when Slendari, in a great whirl of skill and style, turned back to the flower, anger plastered all over his face. What the hell was that? He said in a whisper that was a little closer to yelling. What was what? What are you, the town guard now? Is this a pop quiz? Oh, Mr. Elf, I don't have an apple for you today. Okay, Mr. Teacher Man, should I be asking you the questions then? The smart mouth plant retorted, obviously unafraid of the elf's mean face. What are you babbling about? I'm so lost. The plant continued. Hey, everybody! Cupping some leaves around his mouth to scream. You guys meet Johnny Question Face, son of Jimmy Question Face. Came all the way from Question Land to come and give me a pop quiz this afternoon. Let's all give him a hand. Two or three people clapped with the same lack of enthusiasm that seemed to be plaguing the town. Well, everyone, that is, except the cursing, cursed flower. Quiet, you, Sundari said menacingly, drawing his blade up to the flower in a swift flash of silver lines. Oh, I'm so scared. I'm practically trembling in my roots. Oh, no. I just photosynthesized myself. Just tell me about the damn newts for sale, the elf said, sheathing his death dispenser. My curiosity is greater than my urge to clip you at the bulb, which is surprising since I am such a green thumb. The plant blinked, or winked a few times at the elf, then looked out at the table full of jars. The plant shot out a vine that acted much like a hand and picked up one of the little jars. He smiled and shook it harshly, the newts bumping up and down as he did. Oddly enough as it was, they didn't seem to respond much to this shaking. Instead, just sort of flopped around lifelessly. Seemed to fit right in with the rest of Edog Erie, a lack of energy in life. Oh, these? They're called question newts. You ask them a question, and they'll answer. The yellow plant unscrewed the top of the jar, withdrew a single question newt, and tossed it to the curious elf. Here, try one out, prick nose. Ask it your brilliant question, teacher man. I'm I'm so sorry. Now why don't you make like a tree and buzz off? The plant <laughs> said with the same half-apologetic, half-sarcastic tone he'd used it earlier and many, many times before. Sundari laughed and said, It's leave. Make like a tree and leave. You're a plant. Surely you should know that one. Yeah, my uncle the oak tree made it up when he was but a sapling. Seriously? No, what are you, dense? Get out of here. Sundari opened his mouth to tell off the plant, but he held his tongue. Instead, he looked down at the little newt that blinked lazily in the palm of his hand. It was barely the size of an arrowhead and as thin as an arrow shaft. Bringing the little newt up to his lips, he asked his question. Where is Mantic? The question who blinked twice and said, On the East Kastner Way, heading towards Edogiri. And then it died. I'll take twenty, Slendari said immediately. 
The flower did the transaction without a word, filling two glass tubes up to the top with question-answering amphibians. The tubes, full of blinking eyes, Slendari tucked away within the depths of his traveling cloak and handed the plant several gold pieces. The yellow plant handed the elf back two silvers, which had odd runes on it the elf had never seen before. Keep the change, Lindari said, throwing the coins down on the leaning table. Go drown yourself, and thank you very much for shopping with us, the plant said as the elf turned on his heels and walked across the street to the tavern, which had a sign hanging by one corner over the doors. The Soiled Swan, it read in great but faded and gaudy letters, a peculiar silver. The air rushed out of the dilapidated tavern like it had been looking for any means to escape, and it was most foul. Many taverns reeked of opinions, bodily fluids, bad decisions, and alcohol, and this one was no exception. Yet, there was something extra in the air that was stinging the elf's nose. It felt a bit familiar, perhaps just not in the current settings. It wasn't until he noticed a table near the entrance where several dead men talked about taxes over a platter of human limbs that he realized what the extra scent was in the air. It was death. Sundari knew that the living mingled with the dead up here around this town, and yet it still didn't sit right with him. Probably why he ever rarely came out near Edok Iri, unless ordered so by King Ray Ekmar. He hadn't thought about the king in a while. The elf wondered what Archibald would say to him if he knew the circumstance. Probably to hunt down and kill the murderous traitor Mantic. Probably to kidnap the boy and bring he and the blue wand to Tolkorel to the white door. Most likely to kill anything that gets in the way of helping to open that white door. Slendari loved his king. The elf took a table next to the dying fire that struggled to burn inside the coldness of the fireplace. He didn't like this place of minglers. It was odd to him that the living would come here to live with and love with skeletons, zombies, liches, ghouls, ghosts, vampires, mummies, poltergeists, necromancers, and other strange creatures without a heartbeat or warm skin. Sundari couldn't believe it. The living, they would want to spend the rest of their lives with people who had already spent the rest of their lives. Proof of that, though, sat a few tables away in the form of an elderly man who was lovingly feeding fingers to a skeleton in a blue dress. Sundari watched for a moment before turning his gaze to the rest of the bar. Two tables to the elf's left sat a man covered heavily in dirty bandages with nothing but his nose, mouth, and fingers showing. Unkempt clumps of long black hair fell about the man's face in sporadic strands like a threadbare curtain. The bandage man's mouth was sewn shut with thick ropes of silvery wire which formed several shiny X's across his lips. His nose was gray and covered with scars, and he used it to sniff some grainy powder from off the top of the table. Leaning back, the man placed a hand on a great axe that was sat across the back of his chair. A ragged teddy bear quietly sipped a drink across from him. The bear's eyes a deep red. A few tables down from the man and the bear sat even stranger occupants. At the table was a fang man dressed in all black, with a funny widow's peak and a great red and gold amulet hanging from his neck. With him, the most rosy-cheeked girl Sundarli had ever seen, her radiant sort sticking out amongst the rest of the tavern patrons. Placed on the table between them were several hearty pieces of garlic bread. The elf could barely hear what the two were discussing and found himself leaning out of the chair to strain to hear what was being said. Don't do it, Vlandive, said the rosy-cheeked girl. I can't take it anymore, Rose. 
I want to end it. I miss the rays of the sun too much to go on," replied the fang blondine. "Well, you don't have to kill yourself, honey." Taking the vampire's hand in her own, but I'm already dead. You know what I mean. Come on, let's just go home. Slendari watched the sniffling bloodsucker take one last contemplative look at the garlic bread, before grabbing Rose's outstretched hand and getting up to leave the bar. It was the first time he had encountered something that wanted to be more dead than it already rightly was. As Vlandee passed the table, the elf caught a deep whiff of damp soil, followed by Rosie's girly perfume, which smelled much to Slendori like oranges and fire. He shook out a question nude from one of the glass tubes in his hand and leaned back in his chair. It was time to play 20 Questions. What are you having? A husky voice asked just as Slendari put the blinking newt up to his lips. Fruit and water, the newt said and died. The elf looked up at the grizzled old man who had asked the question. He was wearing a heavily stained apron and carrying about 15 mugs. His hair was all gone, mostly because he had his head missing from right above the eyes and up. The grizzled man stared blankly and drooled until a spark popped and shot a few embers from the top of his head. Fruit and water, Slendari said with an obvious hint of annoyance to his voice. Just as the elf put the next newt up to his lips to ask his question, a very large, like the size of a small boy, apple, wearing only a breastplate and a brown bag, slid into the chair across from him. With a sigh, the elf palmed the next question newt and turned his attention to the red apple, which was obviously eagerly waiting to be acknowledged. And you are, Slendari said, his tone heavy with annoyance. Greeting, sir. Nave of Flando, I am. I'm a traveling warrior salesman. You might say I fight monsters as well as I fight those competitive prices. Heck, if I knew where exactly to find the competition, especially sleeping, why, I'd be a one-man business now, wouldn't I? A monopoly as natural as an apple growing on a tree. Okay, so you're an apple who fights and sells things? Well, sir, I used to be quite a marksman with the throwing knives as a young lad. Had a bet with a tribal wizard go bad and he turned me into an apple. Always said I was one. You know, a bad apple. One of my years of questing, I had come across a bag which was legend to supply a never-ending bounty of food. The red apple plopped his brown bag loudly and proudly on the table. A few apples fell from the bag and rolled away onto the uneven wooden floor. Funny enough, the bag only gives apples. What is it with me and apples, right? So I started using my marksman skills and got right good at throwing apples as if they were sling stones. The bag gives the occasional pear, and I, I guess I can throw them all right. They're really just apples and oranges, you know what I mean? I thought you said it was apples and pears, Sundari said, looking confused. They are. Well, a pear here and there. But you just said apples and oranges. No, no, I mean like metaphorically, like they're really different. Would you please leave my table before I turn you into apple juice? Oh, real original, pal, the warrior salesman Apple said as he slipped off the chair and back into the crowd. This time when Slendari put the question up to his mouth, he cupped his hands like one would protecting a match from the wind. The violinist mage looked around to make sure no one or nothing was going to interrupt him again. He hated being interrupted. It made him feel like killing, and not the throat-slit kind that was swift and clean. A look left, then right confirmed that no one was finally coming.
What did Aldo Valdo tell Aizen? Sundari whispered to the newt. To speak to the Atbandu trees, came a muffled voice from his cupped hands. Sundari began shaking out one newt at a time, asking a question, then putting the dead question newts on a plate, which was actually a bread plate, but seemed to handle dead amphibians just as easily. There was a rhythm to the motions, and it became very methodical as the elf found his pace. It looked much like how one does eating crab legs or other shellfish. Hand, mouth, plate, repeat. What did the Abandu trees tell the boy? To travel to Edog Eri and search for Taylor Martinet and Janus of Tor Goldroth. Why must Eisen find his friend? Eisen traded the strand key to him for a ride towards Dristal. What is the strand key? The blue wand. What's so important about the blue wand? It is the key to open the white door. Can anyone use this wand key? It has been bound to the boy because it passed into this world in his hands. Only he can use the wand. Where is Taylor the tailor? Southeast. The next few days we'll find him camped in Birdsnatch Wood. Does he know anything about the wand he carries? Nothing more than it is most beautiful. Sir, could I take that for you? Sundari looked up as if being pulled from a vivid daydream to see the grizzled man with the top of his head mistered and gesturing the plate that he had filled with nine dead questionutes. With his other hand, he set down a bowl of fruit and a tall glass of ice water. With a nod, the part-headed man parted ways. I'll, I'll take those, actually, if he's finished with them, said a nearby ghoul who had a large romance novel in one hand and a glass of deep red drinking wine. Blood or wine. It was actually anyone's guess. Zodari could tell the book was of a saucy and sensitive nature because the cover depicted a muscled elf strongly holding a headless woman whose head was at their feet smiling with heart symbols floating above it. The title of the book read, To Pieces Like My Heart, and written by someone with the last name Lovejoy. Sir, is that okay? said the grizzled man, sparks periodically shooting from the top of his head like a miniature fireworks display. Huh? Oh, of course. The elf answered anxious to continue his line of questioning. He waited until the waiter had gone and the ghoul was reabsorbed into his book before placing another question in his palm. Who is Janus of Gol Adroth? The world lifter, searcher for the tomb of Rubus Kelb, and only Androthan not to be infected when Anoraxicism. What is Anoraxicism? The elf said curiously with a turn of his brow. It is a disease that eats the creative and thinking parts of the brain. In the case of the Androthans, this being most devastating because they are some of the most creative and intelligent beings that Asgalda has to offer. Where is Janus now? Follow the line. Are Spindle and Cadman still alive? Yes. Well, where are they now? On a fishing boat in the North Proper Sea. What are they doing? They are fishing. Slendari paused at this answer. He'd gotten a bit carried away there for a minute. Shaking the glass tube, he could see he only had five of the little answer amphibians left. He stared at them through the glass, watching them blink, and the way their colors glowed in the lesser light. He wondered how the question news worked exactly. However it was done, Sundari had to make sure not to waste these last five. 
Looking around again, as if an assassin was due at any moment, the elf palmed another. Will the tailor be in Burstnatch Wood long enough for me to ambush him there? If you were to leave tonight... Sundari wanted to stay in Edog Erie and take Manic and Eisen when they arrived. However, getting the jump on the tailor and his hands on the blue wand was beginning to sound like the move to make. He could let the boy and the card shuffler live for a few more days. With the key in hand, things could go a lot more smoothly. The elf wondered if Eisen even knew about the bond made between him and the wand. A devious smile spread across his face and he knew what he would do. Where will Eisen travel from Edoch Erie? he asked, looking at the remaining news. He will come to a bridge a little west of Edog Erie, then go north, following the line of Janus. Where will they meet, Eisen and Janus? In a murky marsh to the north by the name of Scratchpad. And from there? Towards the Cutsbane River. What do Janus and Eisen have to do with the tailor? Taylor remembers where the gravestone is that Eisen speaks of to Janus. There was a momentary pause as Slendari emptied the last question nude into his open palm. Coming to Edog, Erie had gone from half-hearted attempt to track down Eisen and Manic into a full-scale success of information, thanks to the foul-mouthed plant and his question nudes. Now, Slendari knew almost everything he needed to know about how and where to best strike the boy. Getting a chance to finally put Manic in his place wasn't a bad side effect either. With a great smile, the elf asked his final question. Who is the most powerful being in all of Iskalda? The newt blinked twice and said Archibald Rayakmar and died. With that, Slendari decided what he was going to do. He was going to cut off the tailor in Burstnotch Woods and slip secretly into the purple-covered wagon where he could steal the wand and wait to ambush Eisen and Manic. He knew that the tailor was destined to cross paths with Eisen again, and that much the newts had assured. The elf would kill the tailor and this Janus fellow, and drag the boy back to Tolkarel to throw at the feet of Archibald. Oh, how pleased King Rayakumar would be when he brought not only the troublesome boy with him, but also the key needed to open the king's deepest obsession, the white door. These thoughts bounced around in Sundari's head as he got up and left. The soiled swan giving the last of the dead newts to the book-reading ghoul before he left. Outside the tavern, Slendari could not find the cursed flower anywhere. The jarred newts still blinked lazily from the off-kilter table, but the talking flower was nowhere to be seen. Sitting behind the newt-covered table now sat a beanpole of a man, bleeding profusely from a rather horrendous gouged-out eye. The new merchant seemed not to be bothered by this gaping hole in the face, and instead was looking right at the elf as if nothing was amiss. Cautiously, Slendari approached the bleeding man in the leaning table. Um, is this where... Um, I'll take 20 of these question newts. Question what? The bleeding man said over a few loud spatters of blood that splashed onto the table. The question newts, the elf said again this time pointing to the jars hacks in his point. These little guys here, I bought some earlier from a talking yellow plant that was where you are now. The bleeder looked at the elf the way the sane must look at the mentally lost, which was exceptional in this moment. Sundari could see the yellow plant in the man's lap now that he had stepped a little closer. That, that flower right there, that's the one that sold them to me. Sir, 
This is just a pitcher plant. Keeps the bugs away. Lord knows Edoc's got some biggins. No, sir, you must be mistaken. My plant don't talk none, and my newts damn sure don't talk. Hell, all they do is blink. Ain't good for nothing but witch's soup, I says. I... No, wait. See... Never mind. Sundari took the main road to the gates of Edokiri, the newts blinking as they watched him storm off. Sundari passed through the rickety old gate and then turned south towards Birdsnatch Wood. He was glad to be away from that twisting place and told himself never again would he visit such an upside downtown. Only once did the elf turn back to look at Edokiri, once he had come to the top of a large green hill a good ways away. The low rooftops stood out like black flies on a snowman against the bright blue sky. Join us next time for the next chapter in the saga of the White Door and the Boy from That Way. On behalf of everyone who works on the show, we want to say thank you for listening. We are an indie podcast, always trying to improve, and well aware of how much we still have to work on to be better and better. It means so much to us that anyone would listen to a single episode, let alone many. We hope to continue making these shows more professionally, better recorded and we absolutely could not do it without all the support you've shown. See you next time for chapter 15 where we return to Mantic and Aizen and discover a secret that just might save everyone.